Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to worship you, that you have overcome the world, that you win, God, that you defeated death, you defeated sin, you defeated everything that would stand against us knowing you and that we can know you. I pray for intimacy with you, with everyone that's here, um, for those who may be skeptical, for those who come eager to know what you have to say to them today. Uh, Father, wherever we're at on the spectrum, God, I just pray that you would draw us to you, that you would be here, that you would let your presence be known, that we would encounter you through the scriptures, through our experiences with one another. And Father God, everything that you have planned for us that we would not even have any idea about today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. It's great to gather together as a, a group of believers. And for those of you who maybe are yet to be believers, for you checking things out, we're glad that you're here. If you're a guest, I want to welcome you and just ask you if you would in your worship program that Lord willing you received on the way in. There's a little card in there. If you'd fill that out, um, just turn it in the offering boxes or take it out the first time guest kiosk. That'd be great. We've got a gift for you that we want to give you. And I want to bless you in that way. We've been praying for you this week. And uh, if you turn that card in, we'll be praying for you again next week. And we want you to know everything you can possibly know about our church. And one of the main things we want to know is that we love you. Uh, even if we don't know your name yet, we, are, we love you because God loves you. And we want to demonstrate that to you. So hopefully you'll experience that. And then also for our church family as a whole, while our, our guests are filling that card out, um, today's Baptism Sunday. And so we're going to be baptizing some folks after the second service. Everybody's invited. It's going to be at New Life Camp. That's off Falls of the News Road. If you don't know where that's at, or if you've even got any kind of vagueness about where that might be at, go to the, the guest services kiosk on your way out. We've got directions for everybody. Um, so you can grab those and head over there after the second service. We're going to be baptizing, I believe, I don't I haven't checked like, the history of all of our baptisms, but from what I saw, more people than we've ever baptized before at once. And so you're going to want to be there. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Got a ton of folks that are taking that step of obedience, and, and some of us as a result of many of them trusting Christ recently, one person even this week. And uh, so we're excited about uh, people being able to take that step of faith. And so we want you to share in that. We're going to, I believe there's lunch provided too. If not, <laughs> you'd be mad at me when we get there. But I, I thought I read that in the worship program last week. I think we're going to have some uh, hot dogs or things along those lines. So we'd love to, to be able to do that. And if you're a guest, that's a great way to get to know some new people too at the church and just get a, a better feel of what we're like beyond just the Sunday experience. So hopefully you'll check that out. And what we're going to do uh, right now today is we're going to continue in the series we've been doing in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a book that comes right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And what it is, is uh, a lot of times Christians will know uh, the Christmas story. You know, Jesus was born, God's son was born into this world. And then, you know, the Easter story, uh, Jesus died on the cross, he defeated death, rose, the tomb was empty. And then what, how do we get to what we're doing today? And that's really what the book of Acts starts to show us. It gives us a history of God's movement, which is the local church, and why it is we do the things that we do today, or the things we should be doing today. And so we've been going through that book together, and uh, we're going to continue today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. I'll give you a little overview of what we're going to be talking about. We're looking at a prison break today. There's a, a jail breakout, and I don't know if you've ever read books with prison breaks or seen any movies. They can be incredibly intriguing, and I'm not saying that you should be on the, the side of the bad guy. There's a reason why they're in jail, but I know when I see these stories that sometimes I'm drawn in, like all the details and the intricate stuff that happens in order for them to get out of prison. I was reading some this week. I read one about an escape from Alcatraz. Uh, some of you are familiar with Alcatraz, famous prisons in the Pacific Ocean on its own island. And uh, the people who escaped, no one was Sean Connery, by the way. Although I'm sure the guys spoke like him that were able to do this. But there are all these details of like climbing up pipes to get on top of a roof, to jump down to another spot, to take a raft that they had been designing that they had gotten all the supplies from, and all kinds of stuff that was happening. It was, it was interesting. And they believed these two, there were three guys that tried, two guys escaped. And they believe they survived. Most of the times they found bodies when people would try to escape from Alcatraz. There was another story I read 
called The Great Escape from Nazi Germany. People that dug tunnels about 30 feet underground. There's a movie made about it back in the, the 60s, I believe it was. 200 people, I read, tried to escape this way. Three of them survived. And there was another story uh, about one guy. His name was uh, Pascal Payette, I think, or maybe it's Payet because he was French. He was in a French prison, uh, was there for murder, and escaped from prison. And the way that he did it was in the sky. You know, you look around in a prison courtyard, and you see the fence, and you could try and go under, and all the security, and the barbed wire, and he looked up and was like, hey, there's nothing there. <laughs> Had a couple of his buddies hijack a helicopter. The helicopter came into the courtyard, picked him up, and he flew off. It worked. It worked so well that while he was free, a couple years later, he decided he was going to do the same thing to rescue some of his buddies that were in there. And he came back, picked up three of his friends, and flew off and got away with it again. That was interesting. But what was really interesting to me was he got arrested three months after that and then did it again and got out. A helicopter landed on the prison roof. Some of his buddies got out, guns blazing. It was totally like you'd see in a movie. Sawed off shotguns and pistols and all that kind of stuff. They went into the prison, got him, brought him out, and flew away. He got arrested again in 2007. The guy keeps getting caught for other stuff. He's still in jail as of right now. Story pending, I think. <laughs> what might happen? Some of you may have seen even this week in the news. There was a prison break, a jailbreak in Arkansas. If you didn't see it, I brought you a, a short little clip that I want you to watch today from the news. Police are still searching this morning for an inmate who escaped from an Arkansas jail. The whole thing was caught on tape. You can see 33-year-old Derek Estelle sitting on the floor. Moments later, he gets up, jumps through a window, and then runs out of the jail with a guard on his heels. Officials say an accomplice was waiting for Estelle in a car nearby. He was in jail on aggravated robbery charges. Okay. When I saw that one, after reading about Alcatraz and the helicopter and the great escape and all those types of things, I thought to myself, isn't that what you did like when you were playing tag as a kid? Pump bait, jump, run. I never thought that was a way to get away from prison, <laughs> but it worked. And today we're going to look at a prison escape in Acts chapter 12. And none of these stories have anything on what we're going to look at today. Uh, no, there's no helicopter involved, there's no tunnels that are dug, there's no pump fake and run, there, there's none of that stuff. What we have here is God's supernatural deliverance. In today's message we're calling Deliver Me, because some of us, well, we're not in jail, at least not one where we can see bars, uh, need God's deliverance still. Might need God's deliverance from a health situation, might need it from a sin situation. Uh, it could be various different things, maybe like Peter we find ourselves in impossible circumstances, humanly speaking, and could use God's deliverance, and God still delivers. We're going to look at Acts chapter 12. We're going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11 here at the beginning. Lord willing, today we'll make it through verse 17, but we'll see how, see how far we get. And what's happening here in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12, remember the gospel's been going forward since Peter or Jesus gave us the, the mission statement for all believers and really the outline of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 when he said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And what we've been seeing since then is the gospel going forward, but every time the gospel starts to go forward, there's opposition. So we have an enemy, the devil, who's not going to give ground easily. And when God always wins, it doesn't mean there's not going to be opposition. It doesn't mean there's not going to be resistance. And we see it throughout the book of Acts. And what we have here is there's a king named Herod, and he's arrested one of the apostles named James, had him killed. And now he's got Peter in prison. Look at what happens. Acts chapter 12, start reading in verse 1. It says, it was about this time... That's connecting to what we saw last week with a famine that was taking place that Jason told us about where they took up an offering. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. So 16 guys for this one man. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. In verse 5, we see what the church is doing. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What else are they going to do? The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But I had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. It was like a dream. Maybe he was still groggy from sleeping there. Verse 10 says, They passed the first and second guards. They came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. And they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued or delivered me from Herod's clutches. And from everything the Jewish people were anticipating, from all of their expectations, from what Herod was doing, from their plans for his life, God delivered Peter. Wouldn't this be a great one to have on surveillance camera? See an angel show up in the cell, the light shines. I mean, there's no helicopters, there's no tunnels being dug. There's a guy sleeping who's anticipating dying the next day. When we get into this, we'll see some of that. But then God delivers him. And you know why he delivers him? He delivers him for the sake of the gospel. And God still does that. And some of us will never find ourselves in a prison like Peter here. And we might not ever be behind bars for a crime that we committed, didn't commit, just because we love Jesus, all those types of things. It doesn't mean that you don't need God's deliverance. And here's the great news, that God still delivers, and he does it for the sake of the gospel. And that's our first, our main point today, that God delivers, and he does it for the sake of the gospel. And we look through the book of Acts, and we see wherever the gospel starts to go forth, there's resistance, there's opposition that comes, and God still delivers from that. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, we read that passage, it talks about community, the need for one another, how they live life together, the apostles' teachings and prayer, and all those wonderful things, and it ends almost with this utopian verse, and they had the favor of all the people on them. And you can walk away and almost think to yourself, well, if we just live a good enough Christian life, everyone's going to like us. But then you continue to read the book of Acts, and what you find is that's just not true. And you try to live it out, it's just not true. Because there's opposition to the gospel. There are people that are angry at God. There's an enemy that we have that wants to destroy us, and we'll do anything he can to stop God from going forward. So you read in Acts chapter 4 what happens. There's 10,000 people or so in the church at this point. But then persecution comes from the religious leaders. And they arrest Peter, and they arrest John, and they put them in jail. But then God's people pray, and God delivers them. What happens in Acts chapter 5? Sin within the church. Ananias and Sapphira, and the hypocrisy there, there's resistance to the gospel. The gospel continues to go forward. And God moves the church forward in spite of the things that were happening internally in the church. And then you go on, you get Acts chapter 8 through 11, what we've been in recently, you see hundreds of years of racial tension. You see resistance, even from a guy like Peter, internally saying, no, God, you wouldn't want me to. And the gospel continues to go forward because nothing actually stops the gospel. It's unstoppable. So you think about, you want to be involved in something, you want to be a part of something, then it's the gospel. And God's plan for the gospel to move it forward is the local church. That's his movement. And so we see here in this passage, but what happens, and you see it in the lives of people that we're talking to, bumping into, that we're experiencing ourselves today. We see it here in the passage of Scripture. Satan doesn't just let that happen. That's why some people are bound. Bound with change. Maybe it's a sin cycle. 
that you're involved in. Some people are bound by other people's opinions, their expectations. Some people trapped in materialism. People, all kinds of stuff that holds us back that we need deliverance from. But you know what? God never intended it to be that way. He desires for us to live in freedom. Think back to the garden. In Genesis chapter 2, you know, Adam names all the animals. He's got dominion over all the earth. He's enjoying everything. There's one tree he's not supposed to eat from. Everything else he enjoys. Perfect harmony with creation. Perfect harmony with God. God gives him a wife. He's got perfect relationship with her. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. They were naked and they felt no shame. I love that. Not just because I'm for nakedness, which is not what I'm saying with this verse. But think about this verse. They were totally exposed. There was no guilt. There was no shame. That's freedom. They were totally transparent. And there was nothing to hide. There was no trying to just, if I just put my best foot forward, it's just being themselves. It's total freedom is why I love this verse. So I'm not saying you need to go out and be naked, okay? What I'm saying is, is there should be freedom. But you know what happens right after this passage of Scripture? is sin. And with sin comes enslavement to sin. We become slaves to sin. We become slaves to our selfish desires. We go on this pursuit of pleasure and we try to find things and they never fulfill us, but we keep going. It's like this insatiable desire within us. It's a craving for God. And so it was lost at the garden. You know what else happens? The curse. And so we're enslaved to sin. We're under a curse. And then add to that rape and murder and disease and tsunamis and all that other stuff. And that's the world that we live in. And the enemy wants to use all those different things, whether it's cancer, whether it's sin, whether it's discouragement, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, to bind you. But God still delivers. It's like I was, I was telling my wife, I spent last week, I was in Ecuador. Some of you know that, some of you don't know that, but I was with a ministry called Compassion International. Their mission statement is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And that last part is very key to them, in, in Jesus' name. And they try to minister to the poorest of the poor. And I was able to go with some other pastors on a trip with them to try and minister to some kids and see the work that they were doing in Ecuador. And we started off in the main city in Quito. And then we also went into the jungle. And if you want multiple details, and I've got pictures and stuff, I put them on my blog, which is just my name, and you can go get some of the details. But one of the things we did while we were there other than just going to the projects that they do and the, the programs that they run, one of them called Child Survivor Program because literally the kids are so poor, the poverty is killing some of the kids that they just try to get them to survive. And we went into the homes of some of these families uh, that were part of that program and part of the sponsorship program. I know many of you sponsor children through Compassion International. And I'll tell you, it's, the gospel is being presented uh, to these kids. That's the real hope there. But we went into one of these homes and uh, we try and imagine it. Uh, it'd be like a dorm room in college. It would be about the size of this room, so, you know, 12 by 10 or 10 by 10 or something along those lines. Uh, no refrigerator, which was not a problem, because think about it, you only need a refrigerator if you have more food than you're actually going to eat in one sitting, and that wasn't uh, an issue for them. No water, and no restroom there. In order for them to get water, they had to go to a communal restroom uh, that all the people in that building, that area, used, and uh, the lady was so transparent with us, she's so honest, she's like, you just ask me anything you want to ask. And one of the things I ended up asking one of the translators was, what do the people in this area do for money? She said, well, oftentimes they'll sell stuff. And I thought, well, that's, that's not a bad, bad deal. You know, you can make a lot of money selling different things. And I'm thinking like, you know, houses, stocks, real estate, stuff that a lot of times you bump into people that are selling nice clothes, all that kind of thing. So what do they sell? I said, well, they'll go like buy some gum and then they'll resell the gum. And I just, it kind of struck me there, the lack of not only hope, lack of vision, all the things that were happening there. I called Shannon and I was telling her, I said, you wouldn't believe the poverty that we saw today and I was telling her about it. As we've been in third world countries before too, seen poverty, but it was like I was experiencing this poverty. And my, and my wife said, is it because they don't have education? I said, oh, that's part of it. That's not it though. I mean, if they got educated, there's no opportunity. And, and, and even if there was opportunity, they've got no vision. 
there, there's no picture of what could be, what would be different. And so they just, that's just what they know, and they keep living in this, and it's this cycle that they're trapped in. There's no bars on this prison of poverty, by the way. But they're trapped. And you know what? People are being set free one at a time by the gospel. And the gospel is giving them hope. It's transforming. It's not just going into a city and building infrastructure. They're transforming people. When people are transformed, then it impacts the community. It's the gospel that's setting them free. Some of us are trapped by different things. Some of you are honestly, and you don't want anyone to know this, you're trapped in a cycle of sin. Here's how it goes. You sin. You feel guilty about it. You ask for forgiveness. You commit. You will never do it again. You sin. You feel guilty about it. You ask for forgiveness. You promise you'll never do it again. And then repeat cycle, repeat cycle, repeat cycle. You're in prison. Some of us are trapped by circumstances that are beyond our control. Some of us, because of a work situation, someone else controls. Some of you, you got yourself in your own mess. Some of us were, were trapped in, in relationship situations. I'm not talking about marriages. That's a covenant before God. But I'm talking about people that are dating in relationships that are unhealthy and you need out. God still delivers. And I ask you this, just this question. What would you need to be delivered from? Anger? Lust? Pride? Materialism? Circumstances? God delivers. He does it here in this passage with Peter. Go back to it with me. Verse 1. It's about this time. King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church. Now, Herod, that's an interesting name. It's familiar in the Bible. If you know the Christmas story, you know there was a Herod then. This is a different guy. That was Herod the Great. He's this guy's grandpa. Now, you may remember Herod the Great. He was a very insecure leader, um, very dominant leader, if you read history, great at architecture. Um, But he was afraid that Jesus really was the king of the Jews. And so he had all the babies in Bethlehem killed. Maybe you remember that. They were two years old and younger. Wicked, hated by the Jews. This guy is his grandson. He's loved by the Jews. The opposite. This guy's dad was killed by Herod the Great. So, okay, so we're talking about a dysfunctional family with a capital D, okay? Killed his son. The grandson's there. The grandson takes over. He's got the same amount of stuff, exactly the same land that he oversees. Exact same people. Instead of hating him, they love him. Do you know why? And we'll talk more about this next week. Here's the main thing you need to know about this Herod. He's a people pleaser. He'll do whatever he needs to do to make the Jews love him. He'll do whatever he needs to do to make his boss and the Romans love him. And they do. He's a very wicked man, but he's trapped in a prison, and he doesn't even realize it. It's the prison of other people's opinions, which is probably the prison that many of us are trapped in, and we'll talk more about him next week. But look at what he does. He arrests some people from the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, that's one of the apostles, put to death with the sword. That means he had his head cut off. That's what that phrase means. The reason why someone would have their head cut off at this time period uh, was because they were leading people to false gods. They were a false teacher. And for this guy, it was because he was leading people to Jesus. And verse 3 says, when he saw this pleased the Jews, because that's important to him. An opinion poll was taken. Herod posted on his Facebook status. uh, Had James' head cut off today, got a bunch of likes. So what he decided to do after that was, all right, if it worked with James, then we're going to go get Peter. Peter's the big kahuna. He's the face of the place. It's Peter is the most popular of the apostles. He says, when he saw this please the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And then it says, this happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, many of us, when we read this passage of Scripture, not Jewish, uh, maybe don't know the Old Testament that well, and so we just read past something like that. But this adds a lot of depth to the story. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, for those of you who don't know, is, is one of the feasts that they celebrated on an annual basis. It came right after the Passover. In fact, in verse 4, it talks about the Passover and the Unleavened Bread kind of together. And what that means is this. For Herod, it means there'd be more people there than at any other time of the year because every Jewish male was required to travel to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so if he does something like this now, 
extra points because more, there's not CNN, there's not the Today Show, there's none of that stuff. He's, as much of a live audience as there possibly can be for him killing Peter as a public spectacle. Now, if you think about it from a Christian perspective, this was also the same time of the year that Jesus Christ was crucified. About 10 years earlier. Some of these Christians probably saw that. This is a sad time. Not only that, one of your leaders, the apostles, James, just had his head cut off. Peter's in jail. Same thing's about to happen to him. This is an incredibly solemn time for believers. But ironically, from a literary perspective, we know what's about to happen in this story. And it's during the week of the Passover. For those of you who don't know the Old Testament at all, the, the Passover is the time when, when God led the Israelites out of 400 years of bondage. He set them free. It's the deliverance story of the Old Testament. And God's about to show, I still do that. Look at what happens. It says in verse 5 that the Christians were praying. And then verse 6 it says, The night before Herod was to bring him to trial. So isn't God's timing just like this, right? Right before Peter's about to get his head cut off, it says this, Peter was sleeping. Pause. What would you be doing if you knew you were going to get your head cut off the next day? Most of us would be up all night. We'd be wringing our hands trying to figure, there's got to be a way. I didn't talk one of these jailers out of this. There's enough money involved. Like, what could I do? Cut the chains, pump fake and run. Like, there's got to be something, right? And here we see Peter's great trust in God. A guy who later comforts us with the passage in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, when he says, cast all your anxieties on him. He cares for you. And here he's doing it. He's living it out. He's sleeping. When it's the night before his trial, and he has no chance. This isn't a real trial. It's to make a public spectacle of Peter. He's sleeping between two soldiers. He's bound with two chains. And then there's two guys that are standing guard at the entrance. So humanly speaking, it's impossible for him to get out. And then verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And Peter didn't wake up. <laughs> okay, If somebody walks into your bedroom, hits the lights on, Peter's still sleeping. Look it. It says that... Uh, the light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I don't know if that was like, I don't know what angels do. Get up, Peter, what's happening here? But he didn't wake up. And I, I read that, and I think, well, Peter's a heavy sleeper. This makes me feel good about me, because my, at my house, you know, kids will be screaming in the middle of the night, some noise outside. My wife will get up at some terrible time in the night, like 3 o'clock in the morning. The next day, you know what she says to me? You slept through that? No, honey, I didn't sleep through it. I figured it was just a guy with a chainsaw, so I rolled back over and knew you had it. Yes, I slept through that most, almost every time. Okay, I'm saying there weren't times when I did that other, but, but I'm a heavy sleeper. Peter's a heavy sleeper. He's sleeping through this thing. And then look at what the angel says to him. It's almost like he's five. The angel said to him, "Put on your clothes." What kind of escape route do you think I'm running here, Peter? Get dressed. He tells him, "Put on your clothes and your sandals." Peter did so, and he said, "Wrap your cloak around you." That's because he's going to have to run. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. He had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He's still groggy from his sleeping. He thought he was just seeing a vision. Verse 10, he passed past the first, second, the first guards, the second guards, came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to most of us. We walk into the mall and the door's just open or whatever. Just think about this from Peter. He's never seen an automated door before, and the door just opens. He's starting to figure this thing out. They went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know, without a doubt, the Lord sent his angel and delivered me, rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. 
God had a plan, and God's going to accomplish his plan, and God's plan for Peter was the gospel. The gospel was still going forward, and so he delivered Peter. And you know what the great news is? God still does that. And some of you don't believe that. Let me tell you, God does it. He does it physically. He does it spiritually. He does it emotionally. He delivers us from sin. He delivers us from wrath. God is a God of deliverance. You see it all throughout the scriptures, the story being the Exodus and then the cross. In between there, you've got all kinds of other stories. You've got Joseph. He's delivered from a pit. He's delivered from prison. You've got Noah who's delivered. He's on a boat. The whole world's getting wiped out. You've got even Jonah who's disobedient in the fish of a belly. You've got Daniel in a lion's den. You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace. God still delivers. And he does it through Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, a verse we don't have on the screen. Jesus talks about why he came. You know one of the things he says? I came to set the captives free. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not one time does Jesus break a prison open. Instead, what he does is he heals leprosy, he opens blind eyes, he lets lame walk, and he tells women like the, the woman who comes to him to wash his feet, who sinned much. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven. He, he tells the Pharisees, the men, the religious leaders, that you don't understand it. You don't understand love. You don't understand justice. You don't understand mercy. He's trying to free them from the bondage of their religion. He's trying to free from adultery. He's trying to free from the physical restrictions. He sets captives free, and he can still deliver you and me. And he still does it. I just read this week about a, a young boy in Cambodia who was going to a, a camp. It was a Christian uh, boys' camp that he was going to. And uh, what happened was about two weeks ago, he got in a terrible car accident. He was in the hospital. The doctor said he had bleeding on his brain. He wasn't able to talk. He wasn't able to come awake. The staff came to visit him at the hospital. He didn't even wake up. He was in a coma. A couple of weeks later which was just this week, he showed up at the camp laughing, jumping, playing, having a good time. And the camp the counselors, the staff, they didn't have any idea what to think of this. So when mom came to pick him up, they went out and said to mom, what happened? What happened with this boy? And she said, he used to come home from camp and he would talk about Jesus and then he would pray to Jesus. And she said, and I would make fun of him. So she wasn't a believer. He said, we were in the hospital. He woke up for a little bit and he prayed to Jesus and then he took a nap, and when he woke up, he was fine. She said, it must have been Jesus that healed him. And she said, now I believe in Jesus. See, God delivers for the sake of the gospel. I had another woman uh, share her story with me this week. Situation here in Raleigh, North Carolina, right here. And she told me about what the bondage she was in, years of sexual addiction, about 35 years of sexual addiction. And what happened to her story is awful. What happened to her? She started being sexually abused by her dad when she was three and uh, tells him about the time she was about 14 years old and even called the police one time. But mom said dad could stay and didn't believe the story and all those types of things. One time brother walked in on the situation happening, walked back out. He decided he was going to come back and give it a try himself. And uncle did the same thing. Abused. She said that in her, her body started to crave sex when she was five years old. And she longed for it. And then she went you know, church and ended up finding out there's a difference between love and sex. Ended up sharing a testimony with her church when she was in her 20s. And then what ended up happening, she got shunned by the church, and she had a couple guys from the church that came and hit on her. Isn't that great? Isn't that what we're supposed to be as a church? You know, God's protection. It's pathetic. And then she continued on. She tried to fight these urges that she had. She met a guy when she was 15, uh, by the way, that she ended up getting married to when they were 16. He treated her different, and she kept those urges within the marriage for a time period, but then wasn't able to, went outside the marriage, had an affair, all kinds of a mess that came with that, and uh, out of church after that bad experience, and continued to have multiple affairs, and this guy stayed with her, picture of the gospel, loved her, God's grace, 
Well, they were arguing one night. They were having a fight about this stuff, and they were talking about getting a divorce or getting separated or doing something. And she had enough. She decided she was done. She wanted to kill herself. Went to get a gun. The gun wasn't there. Grabbed her, the knife that she had at her house. Couldn't put, her, put it in herself. She just couldn't do it. So then she took a bunch of pills. Her husband took her to the hospital, and she survived through that. And then she had a friend tell her, you need to find a place to celebrate recovery. And our church has celebrate recovery. Thursday night, 7 o'clock. She starts going. And she's set free just recently, a couple years ago. She's 43 years old now, 35 years about that she spent in sexual addiction. You know, God, you know how God set her free? It was the gospel. She heard the gospel. That Jesus Christ actually loves you. He's not trying to get something from you. He's not trying to use you. You're not just an object to him. But in fact, he gave his life for you. That's the love that he has for you. And he wants to set you free. And you know what? When people are free in Christ, they're free indeed. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And she was set free by the power of the gospel. You know what? God still sets people free. He promises freedom. Let me read you some verses. The scripture says, He promises you freedom from sin. 1 John chapter 1, or chapter 3 and verse 5. He says this, But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins. And in Him, in him is no sin. He sets us free from sin. He sets us free from shame and guilt. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. He'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He does the purifying. Wrath, perhaps the worst thing that we're under, is God's wrath. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we come to the gospel and we trust Him, we're free from wrath. Because Jesus Christ has taken on that wrath. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? He saves us, delivers us, rescues us from eternal condemnation. That famous verse, John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He sent His Son to die for you, to take on His wrath for you. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, be delivered from perishing, but have eternal life, eternal restoration with Him, reconciled to Him. But then we don't oftentimes read verse 17. Look at verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, to put more bondage on them. Like oftentimes we make religion but to save the world through him, to rescue, to deliver. See, God promises he will always deliver from sin. He will always deliver from guilt. He will always deliver from shame. He will always deliver from his wrath. He will always deliver from eternal punishment. And sometimes he delivers from circumstances. And sometimes he doesn't. And so the question has to be asked, why doesn't he? Because we can read this passage, and uh, you see Peter here, and it's awesome. It's a great story. We wish we had it on surveillance camera. But what about James? We read about James in verse 2. James got his head cut off. What's going on with that? Was God able to deliver Peter, but wasn't able to deliver James? Or did he like Peter more? Maybe Peter was a better apostle. I mean, he is more popular. Maybe Peter was just lucky that day. You see, sometimes what we act like as Christians is that God would really like to fix your circumstances. He really wishes this wasn't true in your life. But, and we don't say this part, he just can't do anything about that. But don't worry, in the end he wins, so you should still trust him. Can we just say that? That's how we oftentimes act. That's not true. That's how we oftentimes act. The truth is, sometimes God does deliver us from circumstances for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes he doesn't also for the sake of the gospel. See, sometimes God doesn't deliver us for the sake of the gospel. In this situation, 
He deemed it best in his sovereignty and his infinite knowledge with all that he knows and in his omnipotence, all powerful, that it would be best for him not to rescue James from this situation for the sake of the gospel. And he deemed it best if he did rescue Peter in these impossible circumstances when he's chained to two different guards with other guys standing out out front, doors locked in front of him, all those things. He deemed it best to rescue Peter also for the sake of the gospel. Some people will hear that and you'll think to yourself, well, I could never worship a God who would allow or cause or whatever phrase you want to put in that situation with the, the bad circumstances, fill in the blank. Cancer, some locked in jail, somebody gets their head cut off, pick the scenario. I could never worship a God who would blank. And you fill in with your blank. And to that I'll say to you, okay, when you're making up your God, you can make him however you want. Just make sure you know It's a false God that you've created in your image. You're deciding on a God that you find acceptable. And we're talking about the God of the universe whose ways are higher than our ways, whose ways are different than our ways, who has a mission. And his mission is to seek and save the lost. And he will do whatever it takes for that to happen, to put his glory on display. And go back to the message we talked about a couple weeks ago. It's not about you. It's about him and it's about his glory and it's about him accomplishing his purposes through your life. You are a vessel for that to take place and he's rescued you and now he's going to use you and do whatever it takes in your life in order to accomplish that in other people's lives that as many people as possible that are lost could be found and brought into his kingdom. That's his plan. That's what he does. It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire furnace. God can deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still with him. He did in that situation. He doesn't in every, i.e. James. Oh, and also Peter. See, God rescues Peter here, but in about 20 years from this story, Peter gets crucified on a cross upside down. Was God not able at that point? And see, a lot of times we don't like that because we think about our own situation. But aren't we glad that God doesn't always rescue? Because think about when Jesus was in the garden. Father, if there's any other way. You see, the reason why God does this is not because he's a sadistic ruler. It's because of love. He loves you, and he loves others, and it's for the sake of the gospel. And so when Jesus is crying out, Father, if there's any other way, God decides there's not another way. And he allows his son to be gruesomely beaten, beaten, mocked, put on a cross, to put on his full wrath. He forsakes his son for you and for me. And that's driven by love. He's a loving creator. And his ways and our ways, they're not the same. And he doesn't do stuff the way that we would do stuff. Thank God or else we'd all be still under wrath and enslaved to sin because of what he's done through Jesus Christ. He doesn't take him off the cross. He lets him go through the cross. His cup doesn't pass from him. Instead, God's desire, God's will is done for the sake of the gospel. You know, what happened with uh, James and his situation, church tradition tells us that there was a guard that was escorting him to his trial. It was an officer that was so impressed with the faith of James that during the trial he placed his faith in Jesus Christ and at the execution of James, that officer was also executed. God didn't deliver for the sake of the gospel. And so I challenge you, as I've challenged you before, you have freedom to pray for deliverance and I would pray for deliverance, but I dare you to pray for obedience because God's got a mission. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going forward and there's nothing that can stop it. Not Herod, not Pharaoh in the Old Testament, not death, not angels, not principalities. Nothing can stop God's love for you from getting to you. You have to decide what you're going to do with it. Maybe you're in a situation, you need to be delivered. What do you do? There's only one how-to 
or application point in this passage of scripture, and there's only one answer. That's what they were doing back in verse five. You pray. And you see, that's what's happening in the next part of the verses here. It's in verse five, they were praying earnestly. It's the same word that's used to describe Jesus' prayer in the garden. This time God said yes. Verse 12, once Peter figured out what was happening, it says, when, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. They were praying for him. So he's going to the people. He knows they're praying for him. He's going to his people. So who are your people? Verse 13, Peter knocked at the outer entrance. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. <laughs> Can you imagine if you're Peter? You know, just escaped from jail. You're one of the most well-known people in the whole community. You're standing out there in the middle of the night knocking on the door. Hey, it's me. It is. Could you let me in? Like he's just standing out there. Peter knocked at the entrance. A servant girl Rhoda came to answer. Then she recognized his voice. She was so overjoyed. She runs back in without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. She starts telling these other people. Verse 13, they say, you're out of your mind. These are the people that are praying for Peter to be delivered. They told her when she kept insisting that it was so, it must be his angel. And so here's these people that are praying, most likely praying for Peter to be delivered. Then they're told, Peter's outside. He's been delivered. Can't you see we're praying? You're interrupting me. They don't even believe the answer to their own prayer while they're praying. <laughs> I can identify with these folks. And then, but Peter kept on knocking. <laughs> you just imagine, I'm still out here. <laughs> Hope the neighbors don't wake up. Peter kept on knocking. And then notice this, when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. These people together. This wasn't just prayer where you go alone in the closet and there's a time and a place for that. This is corporate prayer. There's something special that happens there. It's what's happening back in verse 5. The church was earnestly praying, verse 5. And then here, they opened the door and they were astonished. And then Peter comes in and he motions with his hand, verse 17. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. Keep it down. You know, you left me hanging out there and then now you're making all this noise. You don't know much about breaking out of prison, do you? And it's kind of quiet down. He described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And then he says, tell James, not the James that from verse 2. This is a different James. This is the Lord's brother, James, who later becomes the leader of the church, perhaps because Peter is so pursued. He says, tell James, the brother about the, and, his, and the brothers about this, tell my community about this, he said. And then he left for another place, and we don't know where he went after that. But here we see something powerful, and it's corporate prayer. It was the church praying. And it was they prayed. And we see it in Acts chapter 4 too. After they're, when they're arrested and Peter goes to the house and they pray, remember the place shakes and they get boldness. And then Peter's from being bold and that's one of the reasons why he's in jail again. And so he's in jail again and they're praying and God's delivering and something special happens when God's people pray. And so today one of the things that we're going to do as we wrap up our services is we're going to pray together. In fact, the worship team's going to come. You guys can come now and they're going to play some instrumental music. And I've asked some of, uh, some of the leaders in our church, some um, elders, uh, the leadership team, different people that are on the response team, um, different folks. And if you're even a community group leader and I haven't asked you, you can do it too. There are folks in our church that need prayer that we would pray with them today. And so one of the things we're going to do this morning is in a moment I'm going to start praying. And if you need prayer, maybe you need to be delivered. Maybe you need to be delivered from sin and you're afraid to stand up because you're going to go, they're going to assume there's sin in my life and it's been a secret. You're trapped in a prison of secrecy. I had a friend come to our church one time. His name was Tail Prince. He had 24 years of sexual addiction and he shared the story with us and I, I believe he shared i can't remember if he shared publicly or if, if he was just telling me but he told, talked about the time that he went and told his wife finally about that and do you know what he said that his, he thought his wife was going to kill him he said that his wife told him 
But it was such a relief when she found out because she thought she was crazy because the world that he had built around himself and the way he described it was a prison of secrecy. No one can know. If people really knew me, then they couldn't handle it. And some of you are going to feel trapped by that very thing and you're not going to be able to stand up in a moment when I say, if you, if you need prayer, stand. Uh, and I'm, pr- I'm going to pray that you have courage. And some of you might need to, you might need to be saved today. You're under God's wrath and you need to, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you need to accept his salvation. Some of you may just have a circumstance in your life. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's health. And I have things I could never even guess. If you need prayer today, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment. I'm going to go to pray. And then we're going to have some leaders that are going to stand up, and they're going to be looking at the room. Wherever somebody's standing up at, they're going to walk up to you. They're just going to ask you your name. If you want to tell them what you want them to pray about, then they'll be glad to listen to you. If you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to talk about it. We've got freedom to go either way on those things today. And let me just ask you this one thing logistically. If you stand up, you're in the middle of a room, whether it's in the video venue or it's right here in the room that I'm in. If you just kind of make your way to the aisle, we don't want you to not feel like you didn't get prayed for because we couldn't get to you. And so just logistically, if you're in the middle of the room in a moment, when I just say if you have a prayer need, you want to stand, um, if you'd move to the edge so that people can get to you. Well, let's just all bow our heads and uh, bow our hearts before the Lord. I'm going to pray. If you have a prayer need, um, if you would, just stand right now. And there might be something in your situation. It might be a, a family situation. All right, I see people standing. And if we could just have some of our leaders that I've spoken to, a response team or elders, uh, and even if you're a community group leader, if you see someone standing by you, if you just go to someone, if you have a hard time getting to them for some reason, you can't get to them, you just even put a hand on their shoulder just so they know they're being prayed for. Then um, we'll do that. I'll begin to pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you um, right now just thankful that you care about us, that you know the needs, every need that would be represented. For those that are standing, for those that aren't standing, I pray if there are those that need courage and boldness to stand, that you'd give them that right now. I pray if there's anyone that's fighting the idea of turning their life over to you, that you'd break that, that they wouldn't miss this moment, that right now, God, that you would deliver them from their own lies, from the things that maybe they tell themselves, that it could never happen, that their story's different, whatever all that stuff is, that you don't really love them. Father God, I, and I pray that you give them a boldness to stand right now. And maybe even symbolically, they're beginning to stand for you. And Father, I pray that you would do that. I pray for our friends who are standing around this room and uh, those that are praying for them, God, that your spirit would just move and those uh, small mini encounters that are taking place. I pray for those that are in the video venue. Maybe they feel like, well, I'm over here. No one will know. And and they feel like they're not supposed to stand. I pray that you would have them do that. And if you're in the video venue and you see someone standing and there's not someone there, would you just go to them? Go pray with them. I don't care if you're first time today. If you're a Christian, go, go pray with them. And Father God, I just come before you, beg. I beg for deliverance. I don't know what your will is. I don't know what you desire to do, but I pray for those that need healing. I pray you'd heal someone today. We know you can do that. Uh, Whatever the diseases are, whatever the sicknesses are, Father, I know that you can do that. I pray for any that are in bondage to sin, that you'd break those shackles of bondage, that you'd bring freedom, that you'd show that you still set the captives free. And some of us are captive, and we're gripped. And God, will you set us free? Set people free from anxiety, from depression, from lust, from anger, from pride, from jealousy, from envy, from people-pleasing, from anything, God, that would hold us from living in freedom like you desired in the garden before there was ever sin. I pray that you'd heal wounds, heal wounds of abuse, heal wounds of disease, heal wounds of words. God, deliver us. We need you. just give you a couple moments to just pray and reflect with the Lord, talk to Him.
Our Father and our God, we are so grateful for your freedom that you let us walk in freedom and live in freedom and to be the people that you created us to be. You've made each one of us fearfully and wonderfully and uniquely different. We've all had different experiences, but you desire for us to live for you and for the sake of the gospel. I pray you'd speak into our hearts and our lives today. We have specifically talked about every scenario that could possibly happen. We couldn't do that. But God, will you show us how the gospel impacts everything in our lives, how the gospel impacts not only our eternal destiny, but it impacts our marriages, it impacts our workplace, it impacts how we respond in difficult circumstances. Give us the boldness and the faithfulness and the courage to be obedient when we feel like we want out or we want it to be done. I pray if there are any here that would even be contemplating taking their own life, that you'd show them what real life is. That your son Jesus came to give them that life. Father God, please speak into our hearts specifically to the exact situations that's happening in each one of our lives. Let your spirit reign over this place and fill us. Make us different. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.